Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Ms. Lily Safali Nishmat Lea Batchana Lea Shalom. Her philanthropy continues to reach so many throughout the entire world. Breakfast in the Class is also dedicated in Nishmat in loving memory of Carol Goldman Lifsey. Uh, by her grandson Jacob Portes. As well, dedicated for the speedy and complete Rufuashima of our Rabbani Chana Farki, Chana Batsima Fega, and as well, sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. Let us begin. My friends, I wanted to just share a very powerful idea. You know, Al Chachamim explained to us that every one of the names of the uh, tribes, of the spies, excuse me, that went into Eretz Israel, was a specific name designed to communicate to us something about the person that went into Eretz Israel. So as an example, the Gemara expresses about a few of them that uh, you see from their name that they were already people that were prepared to see evil, they, that's what they... Uh, that, that's what they went in with the intention of seeing, seeing the bad parts of Eretz Israel, and that's why the person's name was X, Y, or Z. I want to focus on one of the names, and this is true, by the way, about every person throughout the history of time. Al Chachamim explained to us that there is a modicum of prophecy that is given to a father naming or parents naming a child, where the parents, when the child is uh, in that state, ready to be named, they are granted a spark of prophecy to understand and to tune in to what the child's destiny is going to be like. So as an example, if the kid is, uh, you know, has a, a streak of kindness inherent in him, they might call him the name Avraham, uh, who was a powerful advocate for kindness always. If the kid maybe as an example has within her an element of joy and bringing joy to people, they might call her Rina or Aliza, which means to bring a certain sense of joy. So in every scenario, uh, the name indicates that. So someone once asked me, how does that work for Sephardic uh, kid people who named their first four kids basically after the parents? You know, my mother, your mother, my father, your father. So how is that name matching the essence of the child if it's already predetermined because you know, according to our custom, that the first four kids are going to have the name Shlomo, Chana, Moshe, Batsheva, as an example. Or Shlomo, Chana, right? Yisrael, Dorit, as an example. So the answer to that is that Boreola makes sure that your first child, the one that's born, that's going to have the name of your parent, right? So that child is a Yitzchak. Or that child is a Shoshana. So this idea of the confluence of a person's name with their destiny and their mission, and the, their power and their weakness being latent in their name is expressed in this week's parasha. And I want to talk about one of the names that we find in this week's parasha. The tribe of Zivulun says the pasuk, who was the one, the, the spy that went into Israel? Gadiel ben Sodi. Gadiel ben Sodi. Now, the Talmud tells us that these spies, at this point, when we're introduced to them before the mission, they weren't corrupt before they went. They were good people. They were, uh, you know, men of repute. They were sadikim. 
But when they went into Eretz Israel and they saw the land, the rabbis explained that they were able to contemplate the fact that if the Jewish people went into Eretz Israel, they would lose their jobs, they would lose their power. And that was something that was very powerful in changing their agenda and their motivation. And suddenly people that otherwise were good people were tripped up by uh, the allure uh, of power, of control, or whatever the case might be. So when we are learning about their name, we're learning about something which doesn't only indicate the negative aspects of these people, but also indicates the positive aspects, the aspects that characterized who they were when they were Sadiqim. And the commentators say something very interesting about Gadiel ben Sodi. We know that a person who studies Torah has a tremendous place in the world to come. It's uh, a beautiful boost and boon for their soul. The words of Torah elevate, they cultivate a person to be the best that he could be. That's the concept of learning. We're supposed to learn, lilmod al-menat la'asot, to learn in order to do. When a person learns in a class, they shouldn't just, oh, I heard the class. You know, sometimes you hear, what'd you do today? What'd you do good today? Today, I listened to a class. Don't get me wrong. Listening to a class is a great thing. Talmud Torah, keneget kulam. But if all you did was listen to the class and you didn't apply any of it, then you didn't really listen to the class. Listening to something indicates that it, that hearing it uh, has changed you, that you've changed the perspective, changed your idea, changed your opinion. If you could listen to someone and not be changed whatsoever, then you didn't really hear it at all. So Talmidei Chachamim, if they're doing it properly, their Torah elevates them, it refines them, it makes them into very lofty people, lofty individuals. But you have a guy who sits and learns all day, and then you have someone, a regular person, goes to work, listens to some classes, does some mitzvot, goes to a gemara, shiur, great guy. But he doesn't have 15 hours a day to learn Torah. So what does he do? So Chachamim says something very interesting. The Pasuk says when it comes to the Aaron, in the Beta Mikdash, every vessel represented something in the Jewish people. The Aaron had within it the Luchot, the golden uh, um, ark, had within it the Luchot, the tablets that had been brought down from Moshe Rabbeinu. It had within it, or astride it, the Sefer Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote. wrote. What's in the Aaron? Torah is in the Aaron, in the, in, the, in the great, in the holy ark, in the Beit HaMikdash. But says the Pasuk, that when you put the Badim, which means the poles, that were designed to lift the ark, there's a special mitzvah in the Torah, it says, about the Badim, Lo Yasuru Mimenu. Those poles in other vessels, whenever they needed to transport them, so they had rings on the side, two rings on either side, they stuck these long poles in the rings, they put it on their shoulders and they carried it wherever they went. Whenever they got where they were going, what did they do? They put it down and they took the, ring, the poles out. When it came to the Aaron, the poles were required to stay in. Lo yasuru imenu. The Chachamim say that the reason why this prohibition exists, it's to teach us a tremendous lesson. If the ark represents Torah, who represents Torah in our people? The scholars, the Torah scholars. The Bnei Yeshiva, 
the rabbis, the, the people sitting and learning. If you are someone who lifted those people, you supported them, you helped them sit and learn, you gave tzedakah to Torah learning, to Torah scholars, if that's what you did, lo yasuru mimenu, they are never, those two things, never come apart from one another. And I want to share with you an unbelievable story. Um, the, uh, the great Rav, uh, Rav Chaim, Rav Chaim, I think it was Rav Chaim uh, Salavechik. It may have been Rav Chaim Velazhenar, I'll have to double check. There was one of the rich people in the city who gave a lot of money to charity, to, to support the Torah institutions. So when he passed away, the rabbi took it upon himself to study the Mishnayot for his memory. It's a big zechut if someone passed away to complete the Mishnah in their merit. In fact, the word Mishnah is the same letters as the word Nishama. So that's the custom. We complete the, the entire Mishnah during the year of, uh, of mourning after the person passes. So the rabbi took it upon himself to study the, uh, the Mishnayot, all of them, on behalf of this wealthy individual who supported Torah. But the rabbi, as he's sitting studying Mishnah, had, because of his scholarly knowledge, he remembered that the Gemara somewhere else says like this, the Midrash over there says like that, the Mishnayot another place says like this. He had some unbelievably complex questions on the Mishnah that he was studying. Okay. One night, comes to him in a dream, this elderly, the, excuse me, the Gevir, this wealthy person, who had passed away. And he addresses in the rabbi's dream every one of these questions and gives them clear, easy to understand, brilliant answers. The rabbi is flabbergasted. And in his dream, he turns to this wealthy man and he says, how is it that you have such a mastery over Torah? You never were a person that learned when you were alive. Did great things. You, you supported Torah that I should have as a rabbi all these questions, and that you should come and teach me. It's amazing. How do you know so much? And the man said to Rav Chaim in the dream, and this is amazing, because when the rabbi woke up, he had the answer to all these questions. It wasn't just some sort of fanciful dream. The man answered Rav Chaim, he said, when I came to Gan Eden, they taught me all the Torah of the rabbi, that the rabbis had studied that I supported. So anything that they knew, that they learned, that they taught, because I supported them, in Gan Eden, when it came to Shammai, I was granted all of that Torah, and therefore I have this understanding. And that's why I'm able to answer your questions. Say the Chachamim, that's why the Pasuk says, Gadiel ben Sodi. I started by telling you that this spy, he was from which tribe? The tribe of Zivulun. Of all the tribes, there's only two tribes that are linked together in this way. Yisachar and Zivulun. Yisachar was a tribe that had many Torah scholars. Zivulun was the traveling merchant. He owned the high seas. His place was along, uh, along the water. He was someone that was engaged in commerce. So Zivulun would go out and make money. They would support their brother, Yisachar, and they had a deal. I get, so to speak, half of your spirituality, and you get half of my physicality. 
They supported one another that way. So my friends, Seder Chachamim, the leader of the tribe of Zebulun was called Gadiel ben Sodi. Gadi comes from the word, the root of the word, Lehagid, which means to tell. Gadiel, God tells Sodi, God taught me the secrets. That Zebulun, when the time was right, would be taught the secrets of Yisachar that he did not know. He would be granted those secrets. Now, first of all, we learn from here the tremendous zechut of supporting Talmidei Chachamim. And not just Talmidei Chachamim that are great and accomplished rabbis who have lots of people surrounding them. Young Talmidei Chachamim. Talmidei Chachamim that are starting on that journey, that are struggling, they don't have food to put on the table. You know, they're living meager lives. They're not living it up. They're not, you know, going out to eat every night. They're, they're barely eking out a living, paying rent, you know, so on and so forth. That Talmid Chacham, assuming that he does not get financial support, he's not going to make it. He's going to be forced to go out and work. And now some people think, great, that's what should happen. But that, that means that there's plenty of very talented people who could make a huge difference in this world, who could be the person that's able to get through to your child, who's young enough, who's excitable enough, who's cool enough, and that guy never makes it to the finish line because he doesn't have someone supporting him. It's amazing, actually. We had, uh, over the last couple of years, a few people that have come to me. They asked to be anonymous. They're going to remain anonymous. That they told me, Rabbi, find me a young Torah scholar, someone that you know, that you know is studying and is not spending the money going out to eat in restaurants, whatever. Find me a guy. I want to support that person to become a rabbi. Takes roughly three, two, three, two years, three years. It's not a fortune of money. I want to pay the monthly thing, whatever it is, and I want to, I want to support a Talmud Chacham, someone who without me maybe would not make it to the finish line because they couldn't afford it. We have now, from this community, quite a few young men studying in Israel that will Bezrat Hashem become rabbis because people that they don't even know who they are from this community are sending a certain amount every month. Gadiel ben Sodi, eventually, these people will merit to know, understand, have a portion, have the reward of the Torah that they supported. But my friends, as you know, if you know me, I never really am talking about the subject that I'm talking about exclusively. I'm always trying to present to you something that if you expand that idea, you'll see something that is remarkable in other areas as well. And that is that here's a guy who never really understood Mishnayot. But you know what? Through the process of supporting Torah was able to answer the great rabbi's questions. You know what that says to me? It says to me there's more than one way to skin a cat. What do I mean? My father tells a story about a fellow who called him up and he asked him, he said, listen, Rabbi, you know, I want to know if this uh, drink is kosher. My father checks into it. He says, look at me, I'm sorry to tell you. He says, um, he says, it's not, uh, he says, not kosher. The line goes quiet. The guy, the guy, my father says, you still there? The guy says, yeah. He goes, he says, what, was everything okay? He goes, yeah. He goes, I'm, I'm not asking because I want to know. He says, I'm asking because I already drank it. What should I do? I thought it was kosher. What are you going to do? Throw it up? You know? <laughs> My father said to him, listen, you know, to get that back, you can't. 
But if you want to do a good way to do Teshuvah, to rectify that, he said, is we have a kosher bulletin that goes out that teaches people the laws of kosher. If you transgress the laws of kosher, maybe a good idea for Teshuvah is to ask, to say sorry, decide you're never going to do it, etc., etc. But also to sponsor a bulletin so that because of you, someone else will keep kosher when they might not have. So the way to rectify the fact, maybe, that you've not kept kosher is a way to help others keep kosher. So the guy says, okay, how much does a bulletin cost? He says, of course, the printing costs are roughly, I think it's like $500. Anyway, the guy says, okay, let me think about it. I'll get back. He calls him back. He says, I want to donate $800. (laughs) So my father said, wait, do you want to go drink another drink? (laughs) Is that why you're you're giving more than the, the bulletin? The guy wanted to make a donation. He wanted to try and teach people about kosher. Now, what I saw in this story is something amazing. Here's a scenario where the guy has no agency. He can't fix his own kosher, you know, his neglect to make sure that something was kosher before he ate it. But there was a way to, to get a piece of that, of the mitzvah of kashrut, of the teshuvah of kashrut by ensuring that someone else would keep kosher. A fellow came to me, he goes, Rabbi, you know, he goes, you know, I, I've been coming now, I mean, involved in the class, coming to shul. He says, I, you know, every day now I put on tefillin. He goes, but I feel terrible. I feel terrible. I said, why do you feel so bad? You're putting on tefillin every day. He goes, because when I grew up, I never really understood it. I didn't buy it. I wasn't into it. So how many days already did I miss tefillin? And I can never get those back. You don't put on tefillin two times in a day and make up for it. What should I do? So I told him we had a program here a little while ago that we found people who were ba'alei teshuvah, who were poor, they couldn't afford tefillin, but they wanted a pair. If they had a pair, they would put on every day. If you buy the kid that pair, every day he's putting tefillin, that means that without you, there would be no tefillin every single day. So the days that you missed, maybe could be made up by ensuring that someone else puts on tefillin. Or you convince someone else uh, you know, at work, you say, did you put on tefillin today? You get, Chabad guys, you know, forget about it. They have so many credits, you have no idea. Right? What that told me is that there's more than one way to skin a cat in getting a mitzvah. Isn't that fantastic? How many mitzvot do we feel are somewhat out of our reach where with some creativity we could access and connect to that mitzvah. Nobody's perfect. And if, if you've been listening to my class for more than a day or two, you'll know that my way is not to beat people up and to come in with a negative perspective. To beat people up, to tell them that they're terrible. The opposite. The whole Jewish people filled with tzaddikim, tzaddikim, everyone's a wonderful person. They may just not know it yet. Everyone's a tzaddik. They, they may just not have touch that part in their soul which is encouraging them to be able to do all the right things. A person is a Baal Teshuvah. A person who's not a Baal Teshuvah, who's a religious person. They've made a mistake. Whatever area you've made a mistake in, you do Teshuvah. You fixed it yourself. But you know what? The deed that you did, it's somewhere out there in the ether. Now if it's between you and you, there's a way to fix it. But what if there's not between you and you? If a person by mistake was dishonest with money. So as an example, I took money from this guy. 
How do I fix that problem? I give him the money back. I pray to Hashem. I promise I'll never do it again. I come to him, I say, here's your money back. But what if I didn't steal money from you? I stole money from the community. I went into the tzedakah box of the synagogue and I took $100. Let's say I did that. Who do I pay it back to? You understand? The Gemara asked, excuse me, the Chachamim asked, what if I st- stole money from someone and I can't find the person? Or I don't know who he is. In a previous life, I mugged the guy as an example. Right? Before I became a religious person, I mugged this guy. I don't even know who he is. How do I get him the money back? How do I do Teshuvah? The Chachamim say that the person should give that money back to communal causes. And then God will ensure that the guy you stole the money for, he visits that shul library and uses the book. You know, if your Teshuvah is sincere, God will ensure that the person you need to make up with will cross paths with your endeavors. But there's many ways to do a mitzvah. Sometimes even when the mitzvah is not doable. My friends, I'll never forget, um, I read an incredible story years and years and years ago about a person, Kohen, uh, who grew up without knowledge of what his heritage meant. And a Kohen, as we know, is not allowed to marry someone who's divorced. The children from a Kohen that marries someone who's divorced, they become chalalim, they're not, they lose their keuna. Now at the time, the guy was young and in love. He wasn't religious at all. He met this girl, she'd been married for a month, you know. He said, you know, what's the difference? Lama li zua bechora. What do I care about this firstborn ship? Like Esav says. He married her, had a family. Later on in his life, he came to understand what he had, what he'd done, the mistake that he'd made. And he understood that even though he had the, the zechut, the privilege to be able to continue on a line that had gone on for thousands of years, he'd missed that chance. Now he was already older, he wasn't able to have kids anymore. He felt terrible that the line of kihuna had ended with him. So what did he do? This is something fascinating. He approached a local school, a school that was a not religious school. And there was a rabbi there that did incredible work with the students. And he approached the rabbi, he said, I have a request for you. Rabbi said, what's the request? He said, do you know of any kohanim that you teach? He said, what do you mean? I mean, I'm sure there's some mixed in. He says, well, obviously, if the guy's name is Cohen, that's a good sign, you know? But would you mind asking, from now on, you teach thousands of students throughout your career. Would you mind asking, is anyone here a kohen? If anyone says yes, now these boys, you know, they don't, they're not religious, it's not a religious school. He says, I'd like to pay for any of these boys who are kohanim to have private lessons with you where you could offer it to them for free. Take them out for dinner on me and study with them and teach them how to properly say in the original Hebrew, the beracha of the kohanim. Yivarecha amunai vishmecha. The rabbi said, that's such a strange request. The man starts to cry. He says, I missed my chance with my own children to pass this beracha on. I missed my chance. I'm already too old to have children. 
I've now discovered what I've done, the mistake that I've made. He said, but maybe if I ask you as a rabbi to discover Kohanim that never would have had a chance to do Birkat Kohanim, if I make sure that they study, that they learn, those Birkat Kohanim could be instead of the blessings that the children that I might have had would have said. What a magnificent Gadiel ben Sodi. What a magnificent way of achieving mitzvot, of fixing mistakes that we've made. Many of us have regrets. And for lots of us, the regrets stay as regrets in our head because we cannot figure out a way to revisit a scenario to fix it when that scenario no longer exists. But the Chachamim are teaching us here that there always is a way. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of creativity. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Rabbi Chanan.